This is Defender Radio. Defender Radio is brought to you by the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals. It's the week of July 31st, 2017, and this is Michael Howie welcoming you to episode 439 of Defender Radio. You see the scene, you hold up your phone, you get ready to smile, and then you slip. What happens next? Across North America, the selfie phenomenon has been a boon to social media companies, but it's also been a cause for concern for safety organizations as well as search and rescue professionals and volunteers. As we move into a long weekend, it seems fitting to be talking to Adventure Smart, a national prevention program focused on Canadians and visitors to Canada who participate in outdoor recreational activities. Fun fact... If you type Adventure S into Google, the classic film Adventures in Babysitting pops up and you get distracted from work for 102 action-packed comedic minutes. But moving on. Adventure Smart is a great organization that, in the words of their strategic plan, helps outdoor recreationalists significantly improve their ability to make informed decisions, mitigate risk, and change their behavior so they can have a safe and enjoyable outing. They offer presentations on safety for all ages and for all seasons, have tips for most outdoor recreational activities, and aim to reduce the need for search and rescue operations. Sandra Riches, the BC coordinator for AdventureSmart, joined Defender Radio to talk selfie safety, the basics of being prepared, and what's led to nearly 1,600 search and rescue operations taking place per year in British Columbia alone. I thought the the logical place to start. There's a lot to talk about, but is mm-hmm. what Adventure Smart is. Um, we we met you at a, uh, a festival not long ago, and connections right. were made, and now you and I are talking. Yeah. Uh, so could you explain a bit about what Adventure Smart is as an organization? Adventure Smart is a organization that started here in British Columbia just over 13 years ago. And the Coles Notes version is we're trying to increase awareness to help reduce the number and the severity of search and rescue incidents in the country. So we started based on a crazy stat here in BC that we have more search and rescue incidents in our province than the rest of Canada combined every single year. So that number's fluctuated a little bit over the 13 years, and it has gone up, actually, even though we've been very busy uh, delivering outdoor safety programs. So our main premise is to educate, inform, increase your awareness. Uh, And that's what we are. We're an awareness program. We're not a certification program. We're not uh, delivering first aid courses or avalanche courses, but we can tell you where to go to get those for sure. We're here to increase your awareness on some basics, which we have an ulterior motive. We want to reduce the number and severity of those calls for the volunteers for search and rescue to help you be a little bit more prepared for those outdoor adventures, no matter if they're an hour hike uh, after work or on the weekend, or if you're heading out for a longer adventure or expedition, even for a few days. So we're an awareness program to help you be more prepared. And it's interesting, something I have seen mentioned, and I I don't know if this is uh, uh, shown anywhere uh, empirically, but there appears to be more and more people uh, getting outside and recreating in various ways. Uh, we see this sort of across all types of outdoor activity, sports, uh, and so on. And this this comes from, you know, 
the people who just enjoy going out for a picnic straight up to people who are rock climbing. Um, so it is interesting that although your numbers may have gone up, it also may be simply because there's more people doing it. There's no question. I think the the um, the increase in people trying to be a little bit more healthy and leading very active, healthy lifestyles in Canada is great. And I think that's indicative of the numbers that we're seeing outdoors. We're seeing an increase in our parks, provincial, national, regional, front country, back country. There's a lot of people uh, thinking, hey, this is easy to do and let's get interested in it. And and not just regular locals and, and Canadians, new Canadians that are moving to our country. Tourism is huge and growing mm-hmm. and Canada is an excellent destination. So we're seeing a huge increase on the trails, on the ski hills, uh, in the parks and it, on the water even. So it's, we're seeing an increase in our numbers of search and rescue as well, which is, which is uh, in comparison. And that keeps us busy on the prevention side and the education side. We reach out to thousands every year face-to-face. So we're busy both response and prevention. Well, yeah, and that's, uh, uh, you know, getting outdoors for me. I, uh, I love just geocaching here in urban areas mm-hmm. and the urban forests and uh, things like that. So uh, and there, there's a fun story about that that came up recently that we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, but what is search and rescue? This is, so my background is journalism. I was a crime reporter. Um, so I'm, I'm aware of sort of that range of duty that search and rescue can, can involve. But how do you define it? Uh, is this everything from, you know, asking uh, an ambulance to come out and help as you've, you know, twisted your ankle up to those daring rope rescues on mountainsides? Or what's the range? It varies. So you described two different parties there, actually. So we have first responders and search and rescue volunteers, unpaid professionals, actually. And then we have mutual aid, which is uh, other assisting search and rescue groups. And then we have other first responders that would be BC Ambulance, paramedics, fire. So there's a different realm uh, and different entities. Uh, In British Columbia, we have 2,500 search and rescue volunteer members that belong to the BC Search and Rescue Association, and and that is a group of 80 search and rescue groups in the province of BC who respond to uh, people who are lost in trouble and hurt in the mountains, and they do, they hang from helicopters, and they do uh, rope rescue and cliff rescue, they are in avalanche terrain, and they're all leaving their friends and family uh, at Christmas, on birthdays throughout their life 24-7 to come and help you, uh, and happily so. Uh, but they're really, really busy. So right now we have 1,600 search and rescue incidents in the province of BC every year. And those search and rescue volunteers are super, super busy. So like we said, they respond to those different incidents, spring, summer, winter, or fall. And they go through extensive training to become a, uh, a volunteer a member in training, and then a full-time volunteer uh, with one of those respective 80 groups in British Columbia. So, and in Canada, we have 300 search and rescue teams. So, um, they're committed, dedicated, highly skilled, highly trained volunteers who who dedicate uh, their time and make great decisions to go out there and bring everyone else home safe and sound. And I don't imagine that it's uh, necessarily an easy I'm going to go learn how to climb a rope um, and then save everybody. Like it's, it's a intensive process to learn the skills, train those skills uh, and take those risks uh, to help others. Absolutely. And, and, and that, 
that latter part you mentioned there, taking those risks, we put ourselves, uh, our safety comes first. So there's no question we're going into um, interesting and challenging terrain, no matter the season or the um, the location. But we make that decision based on our safety first. So it's not if it's not safe, for example, to head into an avalanche uh, terrain um, in the backcountry, if it's not safe for us first, then we won't go. If it's not safe to fly at night based on uh, the light or the or the weather, we won't go. We'll do what we have to when it's safe for us to go and then bring someone else, the subject back safe and sound. But lots and lots of training from rope rescue to swift water to avalanche terrain to backcountry skills, wilderness safety, navigation, communication, just to name a few. And, and that happens on a regular basis. And each team is unique to their area in the country and they'll train unique to their location. Yeah, I, I can't do any of that, but I can traverse an entire city by using one bus ticket. So different skills <laughs> for different took, places. Different skills for different places. That took training, maybe a little <laughs> bit less. but <laughs> And I can just use Google Maps to do it, actually. It's not that there impressive at all. Uh, what what causes uh, the, search, the need for search rescue? I mean, 1,600 is a big number. Um, and that's not 1,600 people. That's 1,600 incidents. Uh, Correct. So that number could get uh, uh, significantly higher if we presume most of these people are a party of at least two. Uh, what is – and I know it's always different, but is there kind of themes into what is leading towards people getting into situations where they require search and rescue assistance? There's a lot involved in the equation, and, and that question gets asked a lot. And, and we like to pin things. We like to say it's – because of A, B, C. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot involved in that equation uh, throughout the country. And, and you know, we have a lot of great areas to recreate. And some of them are easily accessible. And that can give people a false sense of security. So, you know, you can get off the airport here in Vancouver and be in the backcountry within two hours. Yeah. Literally on your feet in the backcountry. So, as an example, the North Shore Mountains here in the Lower Mainland are, are the line between front and backcountry. So, accessibility plays a huge role. Um, A lot of people don't think things will happen to them. We get up every morning, we get dressed, we pack our lunch for work, we head to work either on transit or bus or bike or foot, and we don't assume anything will happen. And 99% of the time it doesn't. However, once in a while it does. The same premise goes into any outdoor adventure. If you're heading for a hike, a snowshoe, a ski, a boat or a paddle, mountain bike, we need to actually think of the what ifs. And if we start to do that, it leads us into what we talk about is are the three T's. And we talk about trip planning, taking the time to set aside before you go to make sure that you have everything you need, uh, you're equipped, you have some basic and or more advanced training to do whatever you've chosen to do season and sports specific. So there's a lot involved in the equation that might say, okay, why did that incident happen? And no question, a lot of it happens. It's just based on an accident. Something went wrong and and things happen. Um, But a lot of the subjects that we rescue, those incidents could be uh, a less severity of an incident or it could be prevented altogether. Someone maybe forgot to take extra clothes and now they're cold and it's dark. They don't have extra clothes and they don't have a flashlight. If they had those two things, they could probably spend a little bit of time, get warm and make their way out. So there's a lot of people that we rescue that are uh, less prepared than they should be. And that's where Adventure Smart comes in. And, and then when we deliver any of our programs, we talk about all those specifics. 
when I was in British Columbia, um, I don't know if it was last time or the time before, um, my colleague Adrian uh, took myself and someone else out to, um, I, I don't know where it was up at old logging road. Um, mm-hmm. And we saw, you know, a bears and we saw eagles and all kinds of incredible things. Um, and uh, we got a flat on the way back. Mm-hmm. And uh, we pulled over on the side of the road. And one of my favorite pictures of that trip is Adrian on his hands and knees under his truck, putting the new tire on and getting all of the stuff set up and me giving him the thumbs up from the side, uh, drinking a <laughs> bottle of water. Great support. <laughs> but it was interesting because he, uh, you know, he had in his car everything he would need, uh, pr- almost everything you would need pretty much to be overnight. Uh, he had a first aid kit. He had the extra clothes. He had all that stuff. And it never would have occurred to me to include any of that stuff. Um, you know, if we couldn't get CAA from that road, uh, I probably would have died out there uh, or just mm-hmm. walked to the convenience store like two kilometers away. But <laughs> it would have been less fun. Um, at, wh- at what age? I think this is the interesting thing. Uh, at what age should we be teaching people? these skills. Because for me, I, I grew up, again, I grew up in the suburbs and I live in a city um, with a, a father who is somewhat sure which way to hold a hammer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know Adrian spent a lot of time on farms and in the backcountry growing up. So it's a, a very different exposure rate. But should we be teaching kids, you know, in the suburbs, this kind of lesson? Is it the kind of thing they need to know? The short answer to that question is yes. We definitely need to be teaching our children um, and adults, but we can start really young and, and expose them to this message. And that's what we do with the Adventure Smart program. We go to schools from coast to coast and we deliver these presentations in the elementary schools, secondary, and university. So we'll talk to the children as young as kindergarten to grade six. We have a great program called Hug a Tree and Survive. Mm-hmm. And it's all about being safe outdoors. And we, and we simply and very energetically, uh, expose them to a simple message of being safe out there, what to do if they get lost or separated from their family, if they're on a camping trip, or even if they're just in the park. And this has been a very, very successful program that we've delivered for years. And it uh, was adopted here in Canada in 96 from the States. And we've taken it underneath our umbrella as one of our first programs. And we have five now, but we visit the schools and we deliver this presentation. It's about 45 minutes long. It simply talks about uh, safety to the children if they do get separated or lost, and it's interactive, it's fun, it's educational, and they they leave with uh, an activity book that discusses the safety about being safe outdoors. They leave with an emergency shelter, an emergency signaling device, with instructions on how to use them and when. And, And we talk to them about always tell a parent where you're going, Uh, keep warm and dry when they're out there, and if they do get lost, to stop. And hug a tree and stay put. It just gives them a home away from home. And how to keep warm at that site and making a little nest on the ground, wrapping themselves in that shelter, eating a snack or having some water that they've carried, and then help the searchers by answering our calls. So we remind them that they won't be in trouble, that they're not going to get scolded, and the search and rescue uh, volunteers just want to bring them home safe and sound. So that program is delivered free of charge to anyone in Canada and we'll come to you and deliver it in your school setting or at your scouts or cubs or any group actually. So it's, it's well received. And I think 
educating the children young is important. Uh, not everyone grows up in a, in a, on a farm or in an outdoorsy family where their parents are active in the outdoors. So it's good to expose our children to this message because they may move on and live somewhere else that they have access to the outdoors. And this is a great place to start is with that great uh, program for the children, Hug a Tree and Survive. Well, and it's funny because it's uh, it's the very, you know, I'm looking at the website for it, uh, which lays it out very nicely. And it's, mm-hmm. I think, five main points or four main points here. Um, and I was thinking when I was looking at this yesterday that it's kind of, oh, well, our kids really can remember all of this and that. And then I started thinking, and I have a, a horrible memory from my childhood. Um, I, no, that's that's not right. My memory of my childhood is poor. I don't, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd be specific there. Um <laughs> But I, I distinctly remember war amps coming in and talking about railway safety. Um, I remember, and I think it might have just been the, the local utility company coming in, again, when I was in grade one or grade two, and talking about power line safety. Um, and they, they had a guy dressed up, and he was buzz, and don't touch this, don't touch that. And uh, it's, you know, how to stay in your car uh, or stay in the car if a power line falls down around you and it's raining. And I have very distinct memories of those, which was surprising to me uh, all these years later. And I, I have to imagine that these very simple lessons are going to also stick with the kids uh, for a long, long time, uh, even though they can be scaled up. You know, so tell an adult where you're going. Well, you still should, even as an adult. Um, you know, if you're lost, hug a tree and stay put. That's not an unreasonable piece of advice. Keep warm and dry. That's always good. And help uh, searchers find you by answering their calls. These are all things that you can always do should you become lost in the woods at any age. At any age. And and this is the first program of five that we offer. And we love to deliver that presentation. And we were really particular on um, reaching our audience's needs. So there's a lot of communities in the country that are uh, remote, that are are very active and healthy uh, community, and they spend a lot of time outdoors. So if the Hug a Tree and Survive program is too simple for them, which works great for um, new Canadians, uh, Canadians that aren't as exposed to the outdoors, people that are just getting into the outdoors, it's perfect. If we go to a community where it's a little bit more outdoorsy, and that's where they kind of they kind of eat, breathe, and sleep the, that lifestyle, we take them up to the next presentation, and that's called Survive Outside. And so we mainly focus on that presentation. It's usually for about 12 years to, if you're 99 still out there, we can come and deliver this presentation if you're still outdoorsy. And we talk about the three T's, trip planning, training, and taking the essentials. And we delve into each one of those T's. And we discuss the reasons why, the importance of, and, and how it can affect your trip if something goes awry. So we, we have some graduation programs, if you, if you say, that we, we build you up throughout your, your school year. So you could start with a hug a tree in kindergarten to grade six. Now you're heading on to um, middle school or, or high school. We can come in and deliver our Survive Outside presentation, which is a, is a continuation of that Adventure Smart Education And we talk again and we remind you about the importance of staying put, calling for help, how to use your emergency whistle and and for the universal signal for help, which we talked about with a hug a tree. And we can also deliver our snow safety program, which complements the same message or our paddle smart program, um, just to name a few. And so they all complement each other, but you can have our message, so to speak, maybe two or three times throughout your school, school life. And, and, hopefully overhearing it a few times and having that repetition that you remember uh, our safety points. Well, yeah, and uh, I'm taking a look at the the gear section. uh, And it it was making me think, too, of uh, 
again, the the unique lessons I learned as a kid about this stuff. Because uh, although my my father is very not outdoorsy, uh, both my parents are from Winnipeg, and it, there's a lot of you know dress in layers, um, uh, wearing the proper footwear, uh, expect weather to change quickly, and having parents that grew up on the prairies in you know the uh, arguably windiest and snowiest city in the country, uh, those are things that just. I don't think about. I mean, I was the only kid in Toronto who knew what a block heater was. Um, <laughs> and uh, I think, t- too, I want to talk a little bit about the gear. So there's, I think the stuff that, um, you know, again, is to most people who have lived in Canada for a long time, just very common knowledge at this point, although it is always important to point that out. And again, that is dressing in layers, uh, making sure your footwear fits properly, having an extra layer or two. Um, and of course, I, uh, the sports-specific note I think is very important. Uh, that each outdoor pursuit has its own safety considerations and requirements, so we get the right gear to meet those needs. Um, mm-hmm. But when we talk about having a very simple safety kit with us, uh, and this is something that I I need to do uh, for myself. As I said, I, I enjoy geocaching, which takes me. Uh, into some more wild areas, but I typically don't venture far from Hamilton. Uh, those people who know Hamilton, you know, there are some rural areas around, some forest areas around, but uh, you know, it's a city of half a million. It's 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 pretty dense. Um, but I should have some more safety equipment than I currently do. Um, I mostly have equipment that helps me with my activity. Um, what would you know the the five things I should have in my backpack? I guess, look like in terms of safety for either my urban adventures out to potentially driving between, you know, uh, I think one of the common highways now is it's Lake Louise to Banff um, Mm -hmm. is one that a lot of people are taking. And if you get stuck on the side of the road or you get lost adventuring out there, uh, it's a pretty big area. So what would the, the basics be for safety? Well, that's a great question. And it speaks to one of our other three T's. So we talked about trip planning, training and taking the essentials. So there's, there's a basic kit that you can have with you at all times. And if you're geocaching, like you like to do, or if I'm heading off for a couple of days adventure, there's a basic uh, kit that I would have. And then I add to it season and sports specific. So the essentials that we ask you to carry with you are a flashlight or some type of light source. So a headlamp is an awesome uh, a light source because then your hands are free to either eat, drink, or administer first aid. So a, a light source is awesome. Uh, and if you're using an old school traditional flashlight, extra batteries are key, even for your headlamp. Having a fire making kit that's in your pack that you know how to use is critical. So having that accessible in your backpack, in your bag, and making sure you know how to use it and that everything in that kit could start your fire. So you're not relying on anything in the outdoors, on your trail, in the forest. You need to be able to start that fire with what you have in your kit. So we have some great uh, ideas for fire making kits and some of the uh, fire starters could be um, the lint from your dryer is a is a fire hazard at home so that's why you're taking it out of your dryer but it's an excellent fire starter so just add a uh, take it all out of the dryer put it in a ziploc bag you've got some waterproof matches there's the beginnings of a, of a great fire starting kit that's a great idea um, mm-hmm. uh, potato chips cheesies they light up great and they burn one cheesy one fat cheesy will burn for three minutes so there's an excellent fire starter 
uh, cotton balls dosed in Vaseline and um, uh, crayons. These are all different ideas to, 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 and you can Google fire starters, but these are all small, light items that you could put in your pack as your essential kit. Having a proper signaling device, which everyone who receives any of our programs in Canada for the Adventure Smart program receives a whistle, and they receive uh, that as their emergency signaling device. But understanding that the universal signal for help is three blasts, taking a break, three blasts. If you can continue to do that, the search and rescue volunteers and any first responder will know that that's uh, someone in distress. Um, also having a signaling device, which could be a mirror, and which we also hand out at our presentations, and understanding to how to reflect the sunlight back up to a, a helicopter who have some spotters in there looking for you, which is also another signaling device. Carrying extra food and water, so we're eating and hydrating for our activity if we're heading out for a hike. But you have extra in case you're lost in trouble or hurt out there, and at least one extra liter of water as your emergency rations. Um, in addition to what you're doing to hydrate for your for your trip, taking extra clothing and making sure it's the right material. So that's not cotton. Cotton uh, cotton kills is what we say, and we ask you to wear a synthetic material. So a polypropylene is great, and having a base layer that's fitted to your skin uh, to wick away any moisture and keep you warm, and then a thermal layer, a fleece or a puffy, and then an, an external layer layer which will be protecting you from the wind and the snow. Also having uh, navigational and communication devices. So having a topographical map and a compass, but also knowing how to use those two pieces of mm-hmm. equipment together takes a little bit of training, but it's great. North isn't changing anytime soon. So if you have that <laughs> compass and you know how to use your, your topo map, you're good to go. And having some communication devices. And when we say that, a lot of us might default to our phones. And there's some pluses, but there's a lot of minuses to um, thinking and relying solely on your phone. It's great if you have reception, if you have full battery power. Uh, uh, so it's great as a backup, but it's great to just go old school. Topo map, compass, you're good to go. Mm-hmm. Having a first aid kit, knowing how to use it. So having some first aid training and having a first aid kit in there, knowing what you have in your kit. Emergency shelter, which everyone receives also with our programs. Uh, a pocket knife has applications for fire and first aid. And then sun protection. So those are your basic basics which can always be in your pack ready at your front door in your backpack uh, or in the car and then you would add to it season and sport specific so for winter if i'm heading into the backcountry, i have all of those essentials but then i also have my avalanche transceiver my avalanche shovel and avalanche probe so depending on the season and the sport you just add to that list and away you go yeah and um you know two things i i would consider too is i have a little um first aid kit from mech uh, which I mm-hmm. quite like to have. It's I think it was like $9, and it's got some bandages, some gauze, um, something you can use as a tourniquet. Uh, and then, you know, like that's just, it's a good little, it weighs, I think, like an ounce. Uh, mm-hmm. So that just lives in my backpack. Um, and the other thing that I found really neat is I got a GPS specifically for geocaching, and it's it's the lowest model made by Garmin. But while I was at Canadian Tire, I had the guy show me how to use the backtrack feature. Uh, which I thought was really cool, um, particularly for those who are somewhat outdoor inhibited like me. Um, and what that allows you to do is as you adventure, as you travel, as you hike, whatever you're doing, um, it keeps track of where you're going. So if you get lost, you could actually hit that feature and it will guide you back to where you started. Um, 
And that, of course, is dependent on the fact that you have battery life and satellite reception and so on. But it's a neat little feature to know how to use uh, that I think is probably standard on a lot of GPS devices. Um, and you speak to knowing how to use it. So yes. that that's a great example of no matter what you carry, if it's a two-way radio, if it's a satellite phone, if it's your cell phone and your iPhone, um, there's a lot of great features and apps that are just excellent for, for day use and, and outdoors, actually. Not bad. We all have an excellent compass on our phone. That can give us your coordinates right away, which will easily be tracked uh, to search and rescue. And, and so there's lots of pluses to that. But the key, no matter what you're carrying, sat phone, iPhone, two-way radio, spot, in reach, is knowing how to use it. So whatever you choose to get, which it should take some homework to do and see see what the application would work for you, how it works in your in your area. Do you need to have a plan to operate the system that you've purchased? Um, how does that work? How do you signal? Can you text? So there's a lot of little check marks that you have to go through to see what system works for you and how it does. But getting the training and knowing how to use that unit will be your will be your savior. So if you have these items with you and you know how to use them and you do get in trouble, you've gone through either basic training at, at, at point of purchase, or you've taken a course from a survival, an outdoor survival company, or Mountain Equipment Co-op offers some great ones, or you've taken a program from one of us at the Adventure Smart program, and you've learned the basics, then you're on the right track, and you'll be more confident in your abilities, and you'll do what we hope you do, and that will help reduce the severity of your incident, because you know what, how to use your piece of equipment. Yeah, one thing I do want to touch on as well uh, is boating safety. This is one I uh, I am not a fan of water uh, being in the water myself for uh, multiple reasons having to do with anxiety uh, and jaws at a young age. Um, <laughs> and he, he might be in the lake. That's all I'm saying. It's okay. possible. <laughs> anyway, um, when I was at the newspaper, something that was tragic and absolutely predictable every summer was interviewing the family who lost their child in a boating accident. Uh, I, I, I can honestly say that happened every year uh, over the course of a decade career uh, from the same community. And in almost every case, it was um, drinking, no life jacket. And I think, you know, I'm, act I'm a relatively strong swimmer. I, I was taught how to swim at a young age, uh, and I still can swim. I still do swim occasionally. Um, but the importance of that life jacket uh, people, I, I see people, I hear people talk about, you don't need it. I know how to swim. Why is that a falsehood? People get that false sense of security that they know how to swim and that they don't need to be wearing it. That's, that's just, it's critical that people understand the importance of wearing that at all times, no matter what your level of, of, uh, swimming is. Uh, I'm a very strong swimmer. Um, and some of us are, some of us aren't. I can still fall off the boat and hit my head on the way into the water. And now I'm not such a strong swimmer. Uh, I might be fishing with some friends and I slip on the rocks or, or if I'm at the, the creek head and I slip and fall and hurt myself. And if I'm injured, unconscious, um, ridden with anxiety, I'm, I'm not as strong of a swimmer anymore. So having that life jacket on me, will save me. Um, and it's, and it's, uh, it's critical that everyone wears them and wears the properly fitted life jacket. I would think we've all been on a boat before and, and everyone says, yeah, oh yeah, there's eight of them in the bow. We're eight of us. Let's go. Away we go. Well, they're in the, in the bow of the boat. They're not, it's not on me. It's on the vessel. It's great. Uh, we need to be putting them on. And if we could practice that 
and show everyone else on the boat if you're the operator you may you, you are required to get your your uh, passengers to wear that that uh, life jacket or PFD set the example make sure everyone's equipped and away you go make sure that they're nice and bright they usually are yellow orange red which is easier to see on the water and making sure that they fit properly and once we all get into that habit it's creating those habits of packing those essentials of wearing that life jacket and being safe no matter what you choose to do but it's it's critical on the water and, and unfortunately it happens every summer there's some great programs out there swim to survive the life-saving society puts on a great program and, and they'll They'll help you learn how to swim, and, and they put on these different workshops over the weekends in the summer, and it's called Swim to Survive, and they'll teach, teach you the basics, um, and a lot of us live around the water, and we have a lot of water in Canada. We need to be safe if we're just on the shorelines, canoe, kayak, or motorboat, or stand-up paddle boards with the new trends coming up. We need to be safe no matter what we choose to do on the water. Yeah, and I think what's frightening is how devastatingly quick it happens. Uh, that's the other thing I think people underestimate is this is not in the movies, splashing around, help, help, I can't swim. Um, it's in the water, under the water. And one gulp for air, that turns out to be water, and that's it. That's all it can take sometimes. Uh, and that's what makes it so frightening. Uh, but as you said, I mean, I think just wearing a life jacket, making sure it fits, you know, the life jacket that you have for your boat probably isn't going to fit me. Um, and I've had that situation before, in mm -hmm. fact, uh, as a larger person, uh, where, you know, it's, I, this is not going to help. If anything, it will prevent me from using my arms. So, uh, mm -hmm. find another one or don't go on the boat. Uh, now in, in a more fun news, there was a story, and this is a, I, I briefly alluded to, alluded to of a man who is geocaching and got in a, uh, some fisticuffs with a grizzly bear. Uh, so the, the very brief definition of geocaching is uh, using predetermined coordinates to search for a container that is hidden and has a paper log in it that you sign. It's kind of like a treasure hunt. It's a lot of fun. It's great for all ages. Uh, I, I uh, enjoy it, and it's a wonderful way to get kids outdoors. I'm a big brother, and we go geocaching all the time. It's a wonderful way to get him moving and active without being, let's go exercise. Um, <laughs> and... This story, I, I read it, and I, I mean, the headline was, you know, safety of geocaching called into question after this incident. I wrote about it. I was a little flummoxed by the headline. Um, I don't even know how to ask this question, but when you're geocaching, is it a good idea to be aware that there may be grizzly bears on the other side of a bush? Like, <laughs> I don't, uh, you, you have bear safety. I just, I don't know how to really frame that. Is this just general situational awareness how do you guys teach that kind of stuff for outdoor recreation bear safety comes up in every single presentation that we deliver at every trailhead that we do when we're talking to hikers and heading that they're heading into the backcountry. It, it creates great conversation people are interested people want to see them uh and it and it can be great um in a safe area with a guide in a, in a safe environment. However, most of the times we're out there and we're in their home. Uh, we're heading out into the backcountry and we're in, in, in bear country. So it's, it's our responsibility. So that falls back to the first T that we talked about, trip planning. So if you're geocaching, if you're heading out for an afternoon hike here on the North Shore, 
if you're uh, if you're anywhere in the country, it's your responsibility to look into that before you go. So talk to the locals. The locals could be Park Warden, Parks Canada staff. It could be uh, the local um, uh, park rangers and, and, and getting some information about what's been happening in that community depending on the season. So if it's springtime, the bears will be at a lower elevation looking for food because it's not available at a higher elevation because that's still covered in snow. Uh, make make sure you're understanding the weather patterns because that dictates what grows at what times of the year for the bears to be grazing. So it might sound like a little bit of homework, but it's it's all for your own safety and understanding what's out there and being in the know. Learn everything you can about being safe in bear country because you're venturing into their habitat. So understand what areas they love to sleep in, feed in graze in, walk in, and those are probably areas that maybe you're going for a hike in. So you have to be in tune when you're out there. Making yourself visible and heard, you need to be alert and pay attention for different signs in the area. Looking for scat along the trail, looking for scratch marks on the trees, depressions and big big um, uh, areas on the ground where they may have slept overnight. These are key points for you to keep your eyes open when you're out there so that you might realize, hey, you know what? We are in bear country and we need to pay attention because we've seen some signs here. So being in your group, making lots of noise and and your voice is a good deterrent. That's not a common sound for the bear to to be around. So um, making sure that you're confident when and if you do run into them, um, be cool, calm, collected and uh, do your best to steer clear. But if you do run into them, um, make sure you're making sure yourself is as big as possible. So if we're in a group of three of us are, are geocaching, uh, we can stand, we can stand up on a log shoulder to shoulder, hold our packs above our heads, really low voice. Hey bear, Hey bear. And, and do your best to make yourself a larger vision to him or her, uh, than they are. And, and they'll give you signs. They're excellent, excellent creatures at giving you warning signs. You have to watch their body language, look at their ears. They may um, clap their teeth. They make sounds. They they can bluff you, which is uh, scary, but they're, they're giving you lots of warnings to, to let you know that they're not happy with your presence there. Back away slowly. Leave the area. More than not, everything will be fine. Yeah, it's the first time I hear, heard a uh, bear clapping. Uh, I, I had no idea what was happening. Uh, but I, I had that explained to me. That's, it's another way they're communicating. They're saying, Hey, I'm here. Uh, and I think too, that the, the general advice, if you're geocaching in bear country and you want to go under a berry bush, uh, don't, but <laughs> also just, you know, try a, Hey bears, are you in this berry bush? Uh, before you poke your head in, uh, it's, it's a pretty straightforward, uh, thing to do. Um, that could save you a few stitches. Actually, you should probably do Let, that with any animal, to be fair. And letting letting them know that you're in the area is key. Mm-hmm. So I, I can't stand to be surprised. <laughs> I'm sure the bear's the same way. We don't need to surprise them. We need to let them know that we're in their habitat. Uh, but then also be prepared in case there is an encounter. So understanding that there might be, and, and that could be um, 
something that you would carry is, is a bear bell is one idea. I said to use your voice, making some sound, but also yeah, I do a lot of mountain biking and, and uh, my friends and I, we always carry our bear spray. So making sure that we have that on us, it's easily accessible and that we know how to use the unit that we've purchased, um, understanding what carrying case it is in. The holster can be different from another. Understanding how to get it out of the holster, spray down low, make your way up because the bear's head would be lower. Understanding the direction of that uh, bear spray and and knowing how to use that and knowing that you have that as a deterrent. So there's there's ways to look for signs of them in the area. There's ways for you to read their body language. Like we said, they'll communicate with us like crazy. They're letting you know over and over and over they're not happy. And then the last would be that they would um, get closer to your charge, but then you're doing the best you can with that bear spray to make sure that you know how to use that um, deterrent. So there's a few things that you could do and, and, uh, and have a safe encounter out there. One of the uh, final things I do want to cover off is selfies. So I am a uh, uh, strong proponent against the bear selfie phenomenon, uh, which I I think is some kind of Darwinian irony uh, being played on the grandest stage. But I think one of the reasonable ones is people go to a beautiful spot and they want to get a picture. Um, and they say, well, what if we just go over here? And this happened uh, relatively recently near me, I think. Uh, there, You know, there's, there's Albion Falls. I think I, I mentioned to you. Uh, here in mm-hmm. Hamilton, we're, we're a city of waterfalls. And they've had to put up six-foot steel fences to keep people away from this waterfall because there have been, I think, two deaths and several rescues uh, this mm-hmm. summer. And all along here, we're, we are on the edge of the escarpment, uh, the Niagara Escarpment. So we get beautiful scenic views. And, and this is, you know, I, we call it the mountain, as you probably know, and all of the people at West <laughs> laugh and laugh and laugh. Um because it's 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 what I two hundred meters high, um, mm-hmm. so I can hear you still laughing. In fact, I am I'm I am laughing, and I'm from St. Catharines, and I, so I, you I know. laugh all the time when I drive by the escarpment. It makes me laugh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that, that one a little with far. all due respect. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um, back to not insulting me. Um, the, <laughs> no, the the escarpment is it's a wonderful place to go for hikes. There's lots of trails, and there's lots of great spots to stop. And, you know, there's there's one I love that's part of a trail and garden that looks out over Hamilton, which is quite nice. But then along the Bruce Trail, there's all kinds of wonderful spots you can stop. Um, further up in Halton, there are a few uh, bluffs that are just remarkable, but they are like sheer 300-meter drops. Um, when someone does want to stop and take a picture... Um, and they're with a group of people or they're with their friends or by themselves. What is a safe way to try and get a selfie, um, without plummeting to your doom or creating a dangerous situation? The selfie phenomena is, is, is happening right Mm -hmm. in front of our eyes. And, and I've posted a few things on our BC Adventure Smart Instagram and Twitter lately in relation to that. And, and I've been calling it the Instagram bucket list. And, and people have been heading out there, like those examples you've just given me, and we've had the same thing here on the West Coast, is, is they're seeing these beautiful pictures. We're inundated with images all day, all of us. No matter where we go, we're, we see it, hear it, um, and, and, we, and we're enticed by it. And it's, and it's, it's an attractive way to 
think that's where you could be as well. So it's very, very encouraging to, to have us um, follow those footsteps, so to speak. But a lot of people are um, defaulting to that as part of their trip plan thinking that they would they want to be by that waterfall they would love to be on that peak they would love to be by that river and take the same selfie and not realizing what it takes to get to that point um no matter if it's a safe route or if it's not a safe route if it's a two-hour hike or if it's an eight-hour hike through snow and you didn't do the homework to check to see that up at that peak you just tromp through six hours of snow to get to that elevation of 4,600 feet. So the same premise at a waterfall, a lakeside, uh, a peak, a mountain, summer, winter, spring, or fall, these selfies are attracting people to go to those areas. So it's, it's, a, it's a craze that we're trying to educate people on in addition to all of our education programs already. And, and, and we're defaulting it to proper trip planning and making sure that everyone understands that Having that picture near those beautiful scenic viewpoints behind you uh, may take a little bit more effort from your point to get there safely and then to take that picture safely or not take that picture at all or not even go to that area at all if you're not prepared, mm -hmm. if you're not equipped. Uh, some of these areas where people are taking these amazing, beautiful pictures, they're trained outdoor uh, enthusiasts, they're adventurers. They're, they're mountaineers. They're, they're people who go on expeditions. So that might be the far end of the scale. But on a, on a general basis, people are still wanting to go out there and get that beautiful picture, that gorgeous selfie with that beautiful scenic view in the background. So we're asking you to be careful and aware before you go. That's key. But if you're out there and that's what you're going to do anyway, we want you to be really careful and in tune on site and, and be respectful of yourself respectful of others and respect the mountain and understand that you have to be really careful no matter where you are and, and really, really think of the what if. What if I go to that edge to get this beautiful picture and what if I slip? Yeah. What if I fall down? What if I break my ankle? Ankle. What if I fall in that waterfall and go for a tumble and now I'm going through the canyon? Not to be negative, but you need to think of these these incidents that could easily happen and you've given some examples today that, unfortunately, they have. And, and there's some bit unfortunate incidents out here as well. And it's putting, it's putting people in danger themselves, those who are taking the selfies. But it's also putting search and rescue volunteers in danger. Then we have to place ourselves at risk to come to the same area to bring you home safe and sound. We're highly trained and skilled professionals. That's, those are areas that we train to go in. But once again, we'll only go there if it's safe enough for us to go. So there's a lot involved in that equation to take that selfie. Uh, however, we're asking you to think a little bit before you make these decisions to go to get to these areas. And it will help you, but it also helps us. That's a fun anecdote. My uh, wife's family has a, a lovely tradition of going for hikes when they get together for, uh, you know, long weekend meals and things like that. And... Uh, my wife and her sister went out to see their brother, their younger brother at West, um, who was in the Navy at the time. And he said, let's go for a hike. And it's one of my favorite pictures of them because it's at the top of one of the mountains, uh, which they expected to be like hiking along the Bruce Trail or the Escarpment. Uh, yes. With him looking proud and happy of having just climbed up this mountain and the two of them smiling behind clenched teeth uh, because they were planning his murder uh, after calling it a hike. <laughs> It is one of my favorite pictures. Uh, and to, to leave off, I mean, this is a, a very broad question. 
And I don't know that it's an easy to answer question, but that's why I'm asking it of you and not myself. What is the one thing people really need to hammer home when we're, and I'm not talking about for those of us who, who have already chosen to, yeah, we're going to go out for this hike. We've got our safety kit. We've got this, we've got our plan. But when you're talking with friends and family and you're, you're talking with your neighbors or you see people on the trail who maybe aren't prepared, what's the one message we should be conveying to them? That's simple. At Adventure Smart, we, we want everyone to really, really think about their safety. That's key. And, and, and we repeat it over and over in our programs and in our social media and in our messaging and at the trailheads when we're there talking to everyone. And we really need you to think about those three T's. You need to trip plan and take the time to be ready to head out there, no matter if it's just a, an hour hike or a two-day adventure. We really need you to trip plan. We have an excellent online trip plan at adventuresmart.ca. Fill in the fields. Away you go. Send that off to friends and family. Now we know where you are. We know who you're with, what you're carrying, and we can find you quickly. That's key. Having the proper training. You just mentioned the hike, going out with family and friends. Making sure you're all physically and mentally prepared for that trip. So if you know that you're capable of hiking up that elevation on that terrain in those conditions, you're able to do that physically, which makes it a safer adventure for you, which reduces any severity of incidents. So trip planning is key, training is key, and taking those essentials. If you have all those essentials in your pack and ready to go, in case something does go wrong, you have the means to help yourself. If you have to spend a couple of extra hours out there because you're tired, then you have food in that water. If someone gets hurt, you have your first aid. If you need to communicate with us and call for help, you have your whistle, you have your communication device, and you know how to use it. So if there's anything that we'd like to say to anyone heading out there, no matter the season or the sport, follow the three T's, trip plan, train, take essentials, and it will help reduce the number and severity of search and rescue incidents in Canada. To learn more about Adventure Smart, get some of their educational information or request seminars, visit adventuresmart.ca. That's the show for this week, folks. I want to thank all of you for joining us and Sandra for spending time chatting with us about safety, the selfie phenomenon, and more. And please remember as you're out and about this long weekend to stay safe, especially if you're in areas where there are dangerous environmental risks or even if you're in British Columbia where wildfires continue to rage. Until next time, this is Michael Howie for Defender Radio, reminding you to stay informed and stay strong.